Welcome to this week's episode of Compound Your Knowledge. This week we have a special guest joining us, Ray Micheletti. Uh, he has a paper that he wrote on our site. As always for the Compound Your Knowledge show, we cover three uh, research papers from our blog at Alpha Architect. To start with, we'll get to Ray's last, but to, to start with, the first paper was Manager Sentiment and Stock Returns. Jack, how in this paper did they measure manager sentiment? Yeah, so the sentiment is measured uh, by an average of two signals. The first signal is they look at conference calls, uh, like quarterly annual conference calls that you know CFOs and uh, CEOs have around earnings dates. And what they do is they look at the number of positive minus negative words that they use throughout the call, hmm. and then they divide that by the total words throughout the call. Right? And then they do the same thing on the quarterly and annual filings. So they look at you know positive minus negative over total. And the whole idea of that measure is to t try to attempt how positive the call or the filing is um, from a sentiment measure. Got it. Okay. So, um, yeah, I guess now that we kind of understand how they, how they measured it, what, what, did, what did the results say around the manager sentiment? Yeah, what they kind of find is that manager sentiment, at least using their measure, uh, is more of like a contrarian signal, right? Whereby when sentiment becomes high, that's usually when markets are, you know, higher, maybe a time potentially to minimize or lower equity. And when sentiment's really low, it's probably a time to buy. So, you know, in figure one of their paper, what they show is um, on the red line, what they show is, you know, the bottom because their day starts in 2000. So the, the, the lowest level was right after the internet crash, which is actually a really good time to buy equities, right? right? And then the peak was right around 08, right. which was the time, you, sh you know, ex, ex post, we know you should have gotten out. Right. And then the next lowest bottom was in like 09, when you should have been buying equities again, right? right? So basically what they find in their paper is that manager sentiment appears to be a contrarian signal. Got it. Ray, would you would you call yourself a contrarian in investing, or I think I'm a natural contrarian in life. Right. If you tell me that something's black, I'll probably tell you that it's white. Just, uh, in, yeah, and, <laughs> and we're going to talk about Ray's uh, paper and sentiment uh, and how that signal works yeah, in a little bit. So so good. So so kind of do do the opposite of what these managers are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The finding was just it's it basically is, could be used as like a, another contrarian signal. Yeah. If you're trying to time mark, don't don't follow the herd. But that's apparent. You know, very hard to do. Easy to do on these back tests to be, to say, mm -hmm. oh, we should have obviously sold in 1999, and we should have obviously sold in 2008, and we should have bought in 2000, right? But like, very hard to do in real time. Hard to do in real time. Would you know? Which I think we we just kind of found out in this fourth quarter of this year. It's like, um, yeah, because if you're trading momentum and the market goes below its 200-day moving average, and you get out, but then the market rallies strongly, and you're like, oh, should I be buying this? And it, it's tough to stick it, with those signals. It hurts. Yeah. yeah. You get out when the market's down 30%, the market goes down to 40% down, like, that doesn't feel good, even no. though maybe you're right in the long run. So, um, anyway, the, the next paper, uh, does financial education actually improve outcomes? It's complicated. So the intention of this research... Uh, is pretty great and it's it's near and dear to us at Alpha Architect um, as we have a mission to educate. 
So this, this study utilized a population of 959 urban poor Indians living in <laughs> somewhere that I can't pronounce, Ahmedabad. Um, the group was broken into thirds, with one-third being a control group that received healthcare education, and the remaining two-thirds received financial education. The financial education group was then further broken down to having a random subpopulation, which had individual, individualized concrete goal-setting, and another population had individualized financial counseling. And then a final group received financial education as well as goal setting and counseling. Okay, so bigger picture, third control group, healthcare education, two thirds, financial education. How did it turn out? Um, so, so Jack, what, what, what were the overall takeaways on this papers? Uh, what helped and what didn't help uh, this sample to, to improve their financial outcomes? Yeah, so um, you know they they basically they, they examined ways to help in financial uh, literacy by doing either like a video or then like a video plus counseling, right? Mm -hmm. So where whereby if you watch videos, you know you may learn stuff about finances. Mm -hmm. um, and what they found is you know you know video video improved a little but not that much. Video plus counseling added some value. Right, but so should we stop doing this video? <laughs> no, but but as as rich, so this is a guest post, but as rich, I think accurately summarized at the end. You know, it basically showed like you know just having showing giving someone information doesn't make them become like better. Got it. You know, like financially literate, yep. essentially. So you know, potentially it shows the aspect of why advisors could be like helpful mm -hmm. because even if you give people all this information, they may still not make the accurate decisions. Got it. And, and is that, was that, I guess, the, the goal setting side of it then you're saying? Is like how you, you need to give people the information and then give them goals and... Yeah, I mean, would I, I, don't, I wouldn't take too much away. This is like yeah. one paper, yeah. right? But essentially, I think it highlights what a lot of people know, which is that, you know, you can give someone the education, but at the end of the day, they still have to do it, right. right? It's like all of us know we shouldn't eat a lot of food. We should go to the gym every day, right? Like we can tell you that. We can show you a video of that for hours and hours and years, but someone you still have to go and do it, right? right? And so I think that's kind of what this paper found, Got to be it. quite honest with you. Cool. Um, all right, well, th that's, the f that's the first two papers. So now we're gonna transition to uh, Ray's paper. So, so we have Ray here, and uh, Ray has an article on our site called A New Risk Management Tool. And Ray, the goal of this article is to try to time equity markets. So how did you go about doing this? Well, I basically stumbled upon it several years ago. I was um, trying to develop a suite of tactical asset allocation strategies, and I didn't have a lot of background in tactical asset allocation, so I looked at every publicly available indicator that I could find. And then I started cycling through some old research that I had from um, investment banks. And there was this one slide deck from Lehman Brothers put out by uh, Inigo Fraser Jenkins and Ian Scott, two exceptional coin analysts at Lehman. And in that slide deck, they had this indicator that looked at how um, institutions, commercial hedgers were positioned in the S&P 500 relative to individual traders. So people that are trading futures in their basement. And uh, I like the, the concept, uh, institutions versus individuals. Intuitively, I felt that uh, institutions would come out on top 
in that competition. Um, so I tested the indicator and the way I did it, it was a Z-score. And I said, if the Z-score is greater than one, belong equities. If it's less than one, belong bonds. And that didn't really work. Um, and I, I don't know why I kept playing around with it, but I said, well, okay, if that Z-score is greater than one any time within the last several weeks, belong equities, otherwise belong bonds. And that did have some predictive power. And then from there, I said, well, if the institutions are short long duration, given the inverse relationship between long duration and equities, maybe that would be bullish for equities. And it turns out that it was. And, uh, and then one thing led to another and it resulted in this indicator. Yeah, and so an interesting thing that I thought in your paper was, you know, you're looking at institutions versus individuals. Yes. Um, and we'll get into the data in a minute, but you also then decided to add in some bond indicators, right? Could you explain why and how you think that's like, you know, a good addition to your signal? Well, that's an interesting question because there's, there's research that shows that if you want to find uh, the returns to a futures contract, mm -hmm. that you not only have to look at how investors are positioned in that futures contract, but you also have to look at how they're positioned in closely related futures contracts. So for example, with the S&P 500, you'd also look at how they're positioned in, say, the 30-year bond. However, at the time that I was doing this, I had no idea of of that uh, literature, and I just kind of stumbled upon this using trial and error. It was just, I, I just thought, well, I know that long duration and equities tend to move opposite each other, so if institutions are bearish on long duration, that might mean that they're bullish on equities, and it turns out that that is uh, a relationship that the paper kind of discusses. Yeah, no, that, that's uh, definitely a, a neat, neat finding. Um, and I think, I mean, it makes sense to add that in. Right. So real quick, just for people out there, where do you get this data? Kind of what is this data that you're using? So this, how do you measure this? So this data is um, the Commitments of Traders report. It's put out every week by the CFTC. And it's a snapshot of how separate classes of traders are positioned in the futures and options market. Uh, so they take all the futures positions and then all the uh, Delta equivalent options positions, and they add that into the futures positions to... Uh, to tell you how these various classes are positioned. And they look at commercial traders. Those are your you know, market makers. Those are the insurance companies, the pension funds, the endowment funds. They look at non-commercials. Those are the CTAs, the hedge funds. And then they look at non-reportable traders. And those are the traders that, are, um, that have positions that are below the reporting threshold. Mm -hmm. So these are just you know, mom and pop retail so traders. So those are your individual. Those are your individual non-reportable traders. So um, in recent years, they've actually broken those categories down uh, to five categories, I think. Four for the commercials and non-commercials as opposed to two. And then one, again, for the individual traders. Um, so it's put out every Friday. It's a snapshot taken every Tuesday. If Friday's a holiday, it comes out early the next week. Okay, and so when you're trying to build this signal, do you mind just explaining kind of what you're doing with this data? How do you build your signal? Sure. Um, it's somewhat involved, but as an overview, it looks at the net positioning of the commercial traders. So it takes their long percent of open interest and subtracts out their short percent of open interest. And then it takes a Z-score of that net positioning mm -hmm. over the last N weeks. Um, and then it does the same with the individual traders. It takes their net positioning and takes a Z-score over the last N weeks. And then it essentially finds, uh, it creates a composite of those two. Mm -hmm. So it takes the uh, 
commercial z-score and it subtracts off the individual z-score and then multiplies it by 0.5 to kind of get a, an average of that difference. And then it takes the maximum value of that composite over the trailing M weeks. Now it does that for equities, it does that for their positions in long duration, and then there's another component that looks at how institutions and individuals are positioned along the yield curve. So the idea behind this is that if institutions are longer, relatively um, shorter duration assets like the 10-year bond compared to the 30-year bond, that's implying that they think that 10 years will do better than 30 years, which is somewhat implying that 30 years will do poorly, which might imply that equities will do well. And so that's the, the rationale behind that component. And it does a similar thing um, with the composite Z-scores and yeah. And together. so, and that, is this a weekly rebalance strategy? It's a, it's a weekly re So it, it, the data comes out weekly, but the signal does not change all that often. Yeah. Uh, the average length of time that the signal stays on in one polarity is, I'd say, about 16 weeks. Okay. And do you uh, lag the data in I the back? I do lag yeah. the data. So um, the data comes out on Fridays. If you are, you know, have computer skills, you can read it immediately and trade in the last half hour of the mm -hmm. day. Um, however, for all the, the tests in the paper, I lagged it by a week. I lagged it by two weeks yeah. as well. And, uh, but I also did show if you traded it without any lag. And it turns out that um, one week lag tends to do better than zero week lag at the margins. Okay. It, it's very Maybe small Maybe short-term reversion in there potentially. I believe it's because or institutions are buying weakness and that doesn't always mean that they catch the bottom immediately and they're also selling strength and they don't always get the top. For example, in August of last year, um, the smart money that I call the institutions, they were selling the rise. They got out in early August, but the market didn't peak until late September. So uh, the market continued to go up after they had essentially mm -hmm. gotten out of equities. Then equities you know, had a little bit of a spill in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Interestingly though, um, so because of the government shutdown, this data has been delayed the last several weeks. Oh, really? Yes. Hmm. Um, and, the latest data that we have is only of December 31st. The market had a big rebound on December 26th, but as of December 31st, the smart money hadn't really been buying that dip. Um, so I'm eagerly awaiting uh, every Tuesday and Friday now, instead of just Fridays, they're releasing the data to catch up. So uh, it'll be interesting to see whether or not the smart money has been buying this rally or whether they haven't. If they haven't, then I don't know if it'll be sticky. So what you're saying is the government shutdown affects market timers. It does affect market okay. timers. Gotcha. And, so, and, and the thing is, is that, <laughs> interesting anecdote. The thing is, is that if the smart money had gotten long any time in that period with momentum negative, that's a strong buy signal. Yeah. And, 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 and I will be very upset if I missed out on that strong buy so, signal. And so I that. wanted to get to that because you know, uh, a lot of our readers uh, and of the of our blog know about time series momentum, trend following, essentially, you know, looking at past returns relative to, you know, uh, just cash or just using trends, like moving averages. So you compare this to time series momentum, what do you find? Well, I find that this signal is not in equities as much as value signals or momentum signals. Um, so in the, the comparisons, the, the trend following strategies might be in equities um, 80 to 90% of the time. Uh, some of the strategies use leverage, so their allocation to equity is sometimes more than 100%, and this was a time average allocation. Um, whereas this strategy, almost by construction, it's in the market about 50% of the time, because what I do is I get this composite z-score of the three different components, and I subtract off the median, uh, the cumulative median. 
And so if it's above that, you want to be in equities. If it's below that, you want to be out of equities. And uh, so by definition, it's almost in the market 50% of the time. Yeah. So it's in the market a lot less, but yet it had higher absolute returns and higher risk-adjusted returns uh, and lower drawdowns generally than trend following or, or value, and uh, but with much more efficiency. Yeah, that's really and uh, you know I'll just end on this. So I thought it, actually probably the most interesting finding for me maybe of the whole thing was that uh, it, you know you looked at your signal on top of time series momentum, right? So basically in instances where time series momentum is saying, hey, boom, let's get out of equities, you looked at how your signal did, and what'd you find there? Well, this is a little bit interesting, and I'll give you some background. So um, the genesis of this indicator was sometime in 2014, and I watched it live for several years, and twice uh, something jumped out at me. So in August, September 2015, the market sold off. Is down 15%. Most of my indicators were very bearish on equities, except for this. This was bullish. Market rose 10%. I didn't catch it because you know I wasn't really aware of of you know this indicator's ability to kind of time negative momentum. Fast forward a few months, January, February of 2016, yeah. market went 15%. down to $20. Yeah, yeah. and uh, all all of my indicators were bearish except for this one. Market rebounded strongly again. I said, all right, this has happened twice now. Let me go back and test what happens when momentum's negative and, uh, this, and the institutions are buying the dip. And sure enough, when momentum is negative and institutions are buying the dip, if you average over an array of different parameter combinations as opposed to cherry picking the best ones, yeah. if you average over an array of them, the annualized market return is about 30%. Whenever momentum's negative but institutions aren't buying the dip, average over all those parameter combinations, the annualized return is minus 20%. So there's like a 50 percentage point difference between uh, market returns when institutions are buying the dip versus when they're not buying the dip. Yeah, and I thought that was you know, a really neat finding. And as you mentioned, unfortunately, you, would, <laughs> you don't know what the signal is gonna do, you know, because you know, most trend signals went off sometime in December, yeah. right? So we don't know until the government reopens fully and gives you the data. Yeah. But um, so, and, you know, I'll end it there because uh, try to keep it short. You also looked at factors and, you know, if anyone's interested in uh, reading more about this article, which I think is very, very interesting, I recommend, you know, you go on our blog um, and read the article by Ray. So, Ray, thank you for stopping by. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Really appreciate it. All right. All right. That's what we got for uh, this week's episode of Compound Your Knowledge, and we'll see you guys next week. The views expressed in this recording are the personal views of the participants as of the date indicated and do not necessarily reflect the views of Alpha Architect itself. Nothing contained in this recording constitutes investment, legal, tax, or other advice and should not be viewed as a current or past recommendation or a solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. The information in this recording is based on current market conditions which will fluctuate and may be superseded by subsequent market events or for other reasons. Alpha Architect does not resume any duty to update forward-looking statements. The information in this recording has been developed internally and or obtained from sources believed to be reliable. However, no representation or warranty, express or implied, is made or given by or on behalf of Alpha Architect as to the accuracy and completeness or fairness of the information contained in this recording. Any liability as a result of this recording, including direct, indirect, 
special or consequential loss or damage is expressly disclaimed. Copyright 2018, Alpha Architect LLC, all rights reserved.